everybody to School Psych Podcast. I'm really excited to be having this great conversation tonight mm -hmm. um, and I'm glad, uh, glad to be here. But my name is Rachel. I'm a school psychologist and I'm working in Maryland. Rebecca's going to be joining us pretty soon. She's just got a little bit tied up with a computer that needs to be rebooted. So she'll be here shortly. But she typically tells us um, how you can participate tonight, which is you can um, get us at Twitter with the hashtag uh, psychpodcast. Um, you can talk to us right in the, the YouTube chat. If you're watching um, on YouTube, there's a chat bar. Um, and if you, you know, we sometimes flash comments on the screen. So just be aware of that, that your comment might be, you know, up here in the video. Um, and then also we'll, we'll try and keep an eye out on the Facebook group as well, um, School Psych Podcast for any comments to, um, you know, join uh, in on the conversation. But I'm gonna pass it over to Eric right now, who's gonna introduce our guest, Eric. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm excited to uh, to be here tonight, but also to have our guest, uh, Kiera Fulmore um, from School Psych Sistas, and excited to talk with her about um, all that she's doing in the field. Um, before we get started with our guest, we had partnered with uh, a school psych um, agency, uh, just a, a few months back. And so we're repartnering with them. They have a new name. And so we want to just really quickly tell you about our sponsor. So as school psychologists, having a strong support system in your career is important in finding placements and opportunities that fit your goals. So this is why we're proud to partner with Med Travelers, the industry leader for staffing school psychologists in districts nationwide. Uh, Med Travelers offers the advantage of W-2 employment status along with full health insurance coverage, 401k retirement options, and they are an advocate for career success. To learn more about Med Travelers and to discover ways they can help you in your school psychology career, visit MedTravelers, M-E-D-T-R-A-V-E-L-E-R-S.com forward slash school psyched, exclamation point. So, um, Rebecca, before I introduce our guest, do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Hello, everybody. I'm sorry I'm late, but I'm so excited to be here and be part of this conversation. I'm Rebecca. I'm a school psychologist working in the state of Connecticut. And Kira, I'm so honored that you're here with us tonight. And I can't wait to get started and learn from you and, and learn about your podcast. I listened to episodes one and two today, so I'm a big fan already. Fantastic. Well, I'll tell you just a little bit about our guest. Kiara Fulmore is a working school psychologist in North Carolina. She has her EDS certificate and degrees from Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. She became a school psychologist because she loves data-based problem solving and investigating strategies that aid children in their learning. Being an underprivileged youth ignites her passion for social justice and culturally affirming practices. She's the founder of School Psych Sistas, a nonprofit organization that supports women from marginalized backgrounds with the profession of school psychology. She proudly serves on the Social Justice Ad Hoc Committee and Professional Learning Committee with the North Carolina School Psychology Association. So welcome, Kiara. We're so glad that you're here. Um, tell us a little about yourself and how you got started <laughs> with, with everything. Thank you all so much. The first thing I wanna say is I'm like, Super excited to be on this podcast. I definitely have listened to you all since I was a wee little bitty um, a grad student in my first year. So this is just, I can't even explain it. But so a little bit about me, as you said, I work in um, North Carolina as a school psychologist currently. I work in one of the largest districts in the U.S., um, very large suburban, urban, and rural district at the same time. Um, I am also, like you said, very, very passionate about social justice, and I think that all has to do with how I grew up and my background. I definitely believe that my life was, I definitely didn't come from crystal stairs. Um, I have had to fight for everything I had as first generation, everything is what I say. So I'm just here to advocate for um, women like me who are in this profession because like I said, it, it's, it's challenging and it's rewarding, but it's very exciting. So that is a little bit about me. Awesome. We're so we're so excited. And I remember it was a couple, I think you said before back in, in 2017, yep. um, when you first got going with kind of the Facebook group, right? Can you mm -hmm. tell us about that community and how that's kind of materialized and, and grown? And 
Yes. So in 2017, it was my intern my internship year. It was the fall of my internship year. And it was after my Dr. TD, which is my mentor and the director at that time, she'll tell you that I came in with a lot going on. So I had just finished from not knowing whether I could even complete internship, to be quite honest, because of a health scare. So I was going through a lot in my personal background, but then school psychology hit me because I was on my internship year. And they talk a lot in grad school about, you know, just research. And we also had, we went into classrooms. So I knew it was, I knew how to actually be in the field with the teachers. But what I didn't know is that, or what I didn't anticipate is the role conflict between teachers and school psychologists. And teachers are coming from a different perspective than um, school psychologists, obviously. But I think for me, I was having a lot of um, cognitive dissonance with some of the decisions that were made around eligibility with students of color. And I think this was causing me a lot of anxiety. It was causing me a lot of stress because I want to say that I got... I get so passionate about social justice that I'm very passionate about these eligibility decisions. But at one point I was like, I don't want to aggravate my director. She's great. She's a phenomenal woman, but it's after hours. And I know she does a lot on her own trying to advocate. I don't want to, I don't want to aggravate my supervisor. Like I, I know he has a lot going on as well. He's great, but it's also after hours. I was like, I need someone who, I can just talk to who can validate my experience as a woman of color and who can kind of see how I'm analyzing this case using my own what I call double consciousness and validate me in that um, analysis and say, you know what, you're right. I feel the same way, too. Um, I was searching for that and I couldn't get it because my friends, the one that I actually went to IU with, they were not available. So I was like, if I'm in this space where I just cannot find someone just to let this go and process this, like how in the world are other women who are like me doing? Like, how are we surviving? We're That's a lot of stress and just, that's a lot of distresses to take in and hold on to. Like we need these spaces to um, get these case consultations out and be able to speak openly and honestly about how we feel. So. That's when School Psych Sisters came, <laughs> came to be. I was just like, let me start a Facebook group and we can just have our own peer mentorship within that Facebook group where we are like hearing these stories, validating each other's experiences, because that's what we need in order to survive. Otherwise, we'd have all types of, um, we manifest all types of, uh, I would say, mental health um, concerns and problems. So that's kind of how it started, to be very honest. And then it blossomed from there. <laughs> it started with just needing a space where we can kind of give each other peer mentorship to needing a space where we can actually just show up as ourselves and say how we feel, validate each other's identities, um, promote each other's work network, you know, it, it it grew into this bond that I just, I could not have anticipated. We were having real conversations in that group. And I'm just, I'm just so proud of all the women for even allowing it to get this far. I'm, I'm truly honored and blessed, like I said. That's really amazing. I, you know, one of the things I'm hearing in your story is that you were experiencing some frustration and maybe cognitive dissonance about the way we are treating certain students or um, mm -hmm. supporting and not supporting and um, perhaps funneling certain students into certain kinds of programs. And um, you really took the challenge, to, you know, I, I would think that some school psychs might internalize that and just say, this isn't for me. I don't know how to mm -hmm. fix this. This is too big of, a, mm -hmm. you know, a problem. Um, and maybe leave the field or just say, okay, I'm going to get swallowed up by the testing and placement machine and do whatever I have to do. And you saw that this is a problem and jumped right in to address it 
and correct it right from the start, which I'm just amazed by and and that you saw it too, right from the start. Um, did you get, I guess my question is, um, did you get pushback from supervisors or other people that here's this young person maybe rocking the boat a little bit uh, as you started? Mm -hmm. I did. Uh, I, won't, I won't say that I didn't anticipate it. Um, I will say that I was like, you know, there's already a lot of support and I don't want, I didn't want to like downplay any other support structures that were out there. I was like, I'm not coming in trying to do that. That's not what I'm here for. I was like, if you think about MTSS, like you have different levels of support and I'm just trying to support the, the women that I feel very strongly need support. So yeah, there was pushback. Um, I posted it. And I was just trying to get people to join and ask, you know, who would be interested in joining. And um, there was some responses like, you know, why do we need this? And um, why don't we create a, uh, a all white group? Um, <laughs> it was just, I was like, man, I mean, I expect this stuff, but I, it was different because it was just like, it's school psychologists or who are saying this. And I know that I'm, at least how I was trained, like that was a whole class. Social justice was a whole class and learning why that language is not appropriate was a whole class for me. So it just made me kind of go back to, you know, well, even though we are school psychologists, we still have professionals who are in school psychology who perpetuate these systems, um, unfortunately. I wonder, Kara, your experience in your program. I, I, I'm actually not aware of the of the demographics of school psychologists as a field, but I feel as though, you know, in my program, I probably was. I can't remember another woman of color, and mm -hmm. uh, I had one professor who taught the multicultural um, uh, developmental issues class, um, who was a woman of color. And that class was phenomenal, but like you said, it, it, it was one class, it was two classes, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but it was, felt very isolated. You know, it mm -hmm. felt like this, here's this course, we need to learn it. And then, mm -hmm. you know, the larger, the my intern group, they were, you know, school psychologists, wonderful people, but not very diverse. And so how did you feel go in your program and then entering the field? Did you feel like you could find mentors that, um, could be supportive and understand your um, perspective and the issues of social justice that you wanted to tackle? Yeah, so I will, okay. I think that's a wonderful question. I just want to start off by saying that. I think that you're right. Like this whole ish, this whole thing of like having a standalone course and not some experiential learning. I, I think we need more than the course. <laughs> I definitely think we need some learning and we need some dialogue. It needs to be like a counseling course, if you want me to be honest. It needs to be that deep. Like there needs to be seminars that are that reflective and deep. But aside from that, I think I was very much so recruited into my program by a woman of color. And I think I reached, I think I was intentional. I'll say I was very intentional in what programs I was seeking out. I will put it like that. And I knew I wanted to see someone who was similar to me and who had my experiences within the program. Um, I wanted this to be a great program, but I also wanted to know that there was someone who could kind of connect with me on that level because I knew I needed a mentor. Like I went into my program knowing knowing I needed a mentor. And so I did have that person um, who was in my program as a professor who was helping me along the way. And I also had an advisor who was, I feel like he was very responsive to my needs and encouraging. So that that was good. Um, at no point did I feel like um, my program is specifically targeting me. We had our issues, of course. <laughs> we had our issues, of course, like every program. But I didn't specifically feel targeted. Did I know other people who felt targeted? Yes, I did. Did I know other students who were struggling? Yes, I did. 
Um, but that had not hit me. Did I advocate for them because they are my colleagues and my my friends? Yes. Did I stand for them in meetings? Yes, I did. Um, but I didn't specifically feel targeted. And then on my internship, I also had that same mindset where I was seeking out mentorship. And I went straight for a site with a phenomenal director, um, woman of color, and she's had my back ever since. It's Dr. TD. So, yeah, I think that I was I was intentional in my approach. But what I will say to the end, there are many people who just cannot find that support for whatever reason. Um, and yeah, I think that's something that we're still problem solving. I think that's something that we're making gains with, but I feel like that's something that we're trying to problem solve as a field as far as like exposure and retention. Those are two big, big things that we have to look at critically. Yeah, you bring up so many good points about uh, so much, you know, the need for change in the field, um, you know, just just from your initial comments about um, the pushback. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and it makes me think of two things, not just um, the pushback against the change or, or the things that you're supporting and promoting, mm -hmm. but your initial concern of just how we're treating children of color mm -hmm. and, and how our systems of support are supporting or not supporting and mm -hmm. how we're making decisions um, that are, are perhaps influenced uh, by inappropriate bias and um, systemic racism and and so many issues, you know, mm -hmm. um, it, it really is incumbent on us as school psychologists to, like you said, Kira, to talk about these things, to mm -hmm. um, address these things. And um, and I saw Dr. Proctor's comment of, you know, it, it's sad when we see this kind of pushback. I, I'm always initially shocked, but it, it's fleeting. You know, it's just mm -hmm. like, how could somebody say that? And then I go, oh, I know how somebody could say that. And then, <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. so, oh. so, yeah, I think the thing is, and the thing that my supervisor, um, not my current supervisor, but my supervisor last year used to instill in me a lot is to think about other people's worldviews and their socialization patterns and know that you can only have so much influence on that. And I think that's where I was struggling as a young intern, right? I was like, I wanna be the change that I wanna see in the world, but there's this big systemic issue, you know? <laughs> there was this like insurmountable issue that I was trying to tackle just as one little intern that just got out of grad school. So I think the reality check was it for me. And now I'm in a space where I'm like, well, what can I do for us to make sure that we are, are able to continue? Because I do I do see a lot of people who are ready to leave the field who are women of color. Like, to be honest, they say it on my group a lot. And I'm just I'm trying. I think we're trying to problem solve that. Right. Um, there's definitely a lot of organizations out there who are trying to work towards that aim of retention. But I thought that this could be another way to support, like, like I said, MTSS, a more targeted level of support. I like how you, you describe the group as, you know, people being able to show up um, as themselves. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I think that, um, a lot of people in the field might kind of take that for granted. You know, I, I'm surrounded, if you're surrounded, if you're a white person, you're surrounded by white female school psychologists in your department. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, you don't immediately get that, that need to, uh, you know, to ha have that kind of shared perspective or that understanding. Mm -hmm. And I think that that group helps that. And, and when you talk about, you know, the pushback that you got, I, I also remember, seeing it on Facebook and whatnot, pushback and questions of, you know, like you said, why, mm -hmm. why do we need this? And coming from a place of not understanding. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I always say that, well, school psychologists as a whole, kind of like you, um, that that we, we take courses in this stuff and we know mm -hmm. about social justice. And so <laughs> I, I kind of hold us to a higher standard and say that, you know, we're, we're more aware than, than the general population. Um, and I tell myself that, but I, uh, yeah, lately I've just been like, I, I feel like I'm giving us 
myself every, you know, too much credit that, you know, because you see, you see this, a lot of, a lot of inappropriate stuff around within our field coming from, from people in higher education, people who are professors, people mm -hmm. who are influencing, um, you know, the new generations of school psychologists and you, it's, it's upsetting, you know, so I, I'm just glad that, um, that you're creating this space that mm -hmm. um, I think it's helpful to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, definitely agree. I think the biggest thing that we have to learn as a society is that um, uplifting uh, marginal, our, our marginalized groups is not devaluing the, the already privileged or empowered dominant group. I think there's this fear that drives decision-making that there will be that loss of power. But like you said, just helping to um, make sure there's justice, not just equity, but also justice um, around, around the world. I think that will just aid everybody. I think I think having school psychologists, women of color in school psychology who want to be here, who stick here, who set, who are in this field and ground runners for their entire lives and don't feel like they have to transition because they're being targeted. Like I think that will aid our field down the line. I I really truly feel like it will and that's 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 why I am here. I won't I won't even say that I haven't had times where I've been tested. <laughs> Trust me, I've had times where I've been tested and I I have felt like, hey, I'm definitely being targeted here. But I think what's keeping me going is knowing that this group, this particular group has a, a purpose and I don't want to be a hypocrite. So I have to continue on just preaching and saying that, hey, school psychology can work. Yes, we do need educational change we can survive and thrive while we're still trying to get that change. So, yeah. Wow, thank you. I, you know, I, I just, th those things, I, I sort of, I don't know, I'm kind of rambling here, but I have so many thoughts. Like um, <laughs> <Okay>. one is, <laughs> one is, you know, as a, as a white male, middle-aged male, um, you know, I truly think it's it's so extremely important for me and and people like me to address this stuff, to stand up, to recognize it, to talk about it, and um, to make other people feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and just like you said, Kiara, you know, supporting marginalized people doesn't take anything away from me. It, mm -hmm. In fact, it makes me a better person. You know, mm -hmm. it makes our society a better place. And so um, I just think it's a beautiful thing. And, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I'm so like, mm, it's me, you know, I have to look in the mirror and look at my <laughs> colleagues who look like me and say, come on, you guys, mm -hmm. um, this is on us, you know, because what I think historically happens is when people are faced with microaggressions and faced mm -hmm. with systems that don't support them is they leave, just like you said, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, and then the white people sit around going, oh, I don't know why. Maybe they just weren't happy here. And you're just like, no. And it hurts the children. It hurts the children because there's children right. out there that need to see themselves. Right. You know, in, in these, right. So there's going to be kids that I, I maybe can't reach. They don't pick, they, they need different from me, maybe. Or they need, they need you know, more than I can... Um, understand and so mm -hmm. that's why we need we need this <laughs> we need a diverse field and i definitely i agree i think i think the tendency like you said is to say oh they they weren't happy or or is to be honest to paint them as the bad person <laughs> i can't i can't get away from from that like there are women and I think Dr. Parker, who's also another one of my mentors, Dr. Janice Parker, she's doing wonderful research. And I told her as soon as she puts this paper out, I'm going to have it as my Facebook cover because I was like, everybody needs to see this paper and what it's saying. But basically, it's the experiences of, I think, counselors and school psychologists who are early career professionals and just talking about what their experiences are in the field and how some of them have felt targeted and it's been leading to their eventual burnout. And if we know that turnover for first um, for 
first or early career professionals, however you want to turn that, is really high. Like, what what can we do? <laughs> what, how? We can't just sit back here and say, oh, it's their, their problem. No, it's not their problem. It's society's problem. And what change can we make so that this isn't happening, so that people want to remain in this field? Like, school psychology is one of those fields. We did a needs assessment for our, our group. And everybody said that they love what they do, right? So the question was, how satisfied are you with the profession? Everybody. And I know there's women on there who want to transition out, but everybody on that needs assessment said they love what they do. They're satisfied is what they say. Um, But there's all these factors that they said and listed as things that make them want to leave the profession. So it's it's like we love our job title and our job description. We are doing the great work. We have so many skills at our disposal. But when you feel those extra pressures, when you feel targeted, you don't want to. And I, I you just don't want to remain. Yeah, um, I think that's so true. And and. I think that when you said you wanted to be the change, what a remarkable way to create really powerful change with your Facebook group and now through your podcast and just um, having people connect and share stories and um, ideas. I loved your uh, episode on mentorship and, and how you discussed the bi-directionality of mentorship and, and creating um mentorships, even outside of the fields of school psychology, if necessary, finding support for um, to, to match your needs and also to give back to, to that support person. I thought that was a really a beautiful idea. I wonder, what have you noticed in the conversations that are happening either through your podcast or um, in the group are the major themes of like how people want to create change. Have they noticed change? I know in my little corner of the world, there's this new concept called diesel, which is Mm -hmm. um, diversity, inclusion, equity work matched with SEL, social Mm -hmm. learning. And, um, and I, it's just burgeoning, burgeoning. It's like a seed and it's beginning Mm -hmm. to sprout. But I find that, can be so hopeful and there's so long to go but what are the what are the themes that you're noticing that seem hopeful that are sustaining that help people feel like they love their work and they can hang in there well it's community so that's the biggest thing it's it's community like every everyone that i talk to on my podcast that's that's always been a central theme, like community mentorship, just having those protective factors, those human protective factors has been what maintains and sustains the women who I've spoken to, to be honest, and sustains me. Um, That is the biggest thing. It's having someone who you feel like you can definitely talk to, who you can show up as your authentic self, who gives you tough love, who gives you that feedback that's constructive, but also helps you frame situations in a different light so that you can move forward and you can feel reassured in your mind. Community hands down has been everything for everyone who I've spoken to that has been the central theme um, and how people survive. I would also say aside from community, um, there are like people who are so I, I would say we're in this space and I, it's always interesting in this space. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know whether I should be happy about it or um, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm still trying to process the space we're in as a U.S., <laughs> as the United States of America, where there seems to be more awareness, um, more awareness. But I think that has made people feel like they can do 
more and be more outspoken about certain things. Um, it's definitely been a space where people have been more innovative in my group. I've seen people, you know, start creative projects around social justice. Like some women are doing books. Um, some women have launched their own companies and they're doing the good work in their different avenues and their different ways. So I think some creative energy has sustained a lot of women to um, particularly in this space. And also there's, there's, a, there's a lot of support. I really feel like this space has also propelled some of our organizations into you know, a, a social justice or equity focus. And I think that that's been welcomed across the board with everyone who's in my community and who's spoken on my podcast. So we're definitely hanging on to the times right now. Um, we're definitely critical, but we're still hanging on to the times and we're we're trying to be hopeful. Do you wanna, so how did the podcast then come out? Cause it's one thing to have, I think this awesome community where you're, you're, um, you know, creating this this place where where people can uh, feel connected and sustain themselves in the field and whatnot. We of course appreciate podcasts being <laughs> it's kind of our mm -hmm. thing too. Mm -hmm. um, so, what what brought you to the place where you took the the plunge for the podcast? What are the goals from your podcast? How does mm -hmm. that interact with your group and and its overall vision? And and how's mm -hmm. that been going? And, and and whatnot. Tell us about the podcast specifically. Well, the podcast has exceeded my expectations. So the podcast was made with the notion that not everybody is comfortable with the Facebook community. I mean, I needed to reach other people. And we've been having conversations as a board as how do we reach other people? And one of the things we thought about was a website, which we are actively working on again. So that was one way that I could reach another set of audience. Um, and it's also a way that I could kind of allow our voices to be amplified to people who were not inside our target audience who wanted to hear them. So allies, our allies, people who truly partner with us in the field, they might not be in the Facebook community, um, but they can follow the Twitter, they can follow the Instagram, and they can also listen to our podcast. Because there was a lot of people who were like, well, we just want to learn more about your experiences. And I want to be careful with that because I, I, I know that people own their story, right? Um, and the podcast in no way, shape or form is paid by sponsorship. It all goes, the proceeds go to the organization, which is a nonprofit organization. Um, but I wanted to make sure that the people who I have on the podcast own their stories, right? <laughs> so they are at the forefront of the podcast. I'm just like a voice who's interviewing them, right? But I didn't want if they felt like they needed to tell something in the group or if they needed to share something and show up a different way or in the group, I wanted to allow them to be a show a different face, I guess, on the podcast, if that makes any sense. So I wanted to give two avenues, two completely different avenues so that our allies could connect and for the women who wanted to be in the Facebook group or not wanted or didn't want anything to do with the Facebook group. So I just that podcast was just to expand overall, just to expand our um, our audience and reach beyond just what the Facebook group can at this time. The website may do a little bit more reaching, but that's our, the podcast is intermediate. I see that. Oh, go ahead, Eric. <laughs> you say the same thing. Uh, an audience uh, member asked a comment. Um, yeah, Rachel's got it here. Mm -hmm. So yeah, talking about, you, you mentioned the needs assessment. I think just some clarification there. And so what are some of the needs discussed um, of those who are involved in the group? I think yeah. that's brilliant that you that you did a needs assessment. I mean, yay, school psychology and data and <laughs> right, <laughs> the right. group. Yeah. Right. So the needs assessment just was to see if our, we were 
meeting those needs of the people with that were expressed within our group. So like we have our own idea of what we want this space to look like. How do you all think we're doing with that? What needs do you have that are being met that aren't being met? You know, <laughs> that's kind of where we were trying to go with our needs assessment. And we did ask that broad question about whether they were satisfied with the field. Um, so this so in response to this, I think that question of what would make you more or less satisfied, what makes you more satisfied, what, make you, what would make you more satisfied with the field is kind of what this question is getting at. And I'll be honest, what they what they said was they want more opportunities for fellowship and more opportunities to build community. A lot of people talked about racial trauma and just more practical strategies on how to deal with microaggressions. Um, they also wanted more legislative um, action and advocacy, just more people who are in, you know, our government who understand. You know, our role as school psychologists, um, there was definitely something on there about increased pay. Someone said something really interesting. They were saying that they need clearer bound, not clearer boundaries, but clearer, I guess, mobility. They want they want to have a clear path to promotion. I guess we, you know, school psychology, you can go in different ways. You can basically create your promotion if you want to, but some of the people express that they would like to have that pathway clearly defined, which I thought was really, really interesting. Um, but yeah, those are a couple of the things that I saw come up in the the general question of what would make you more satisfied with the field. I'm wondering what your thoughts are too with, um, you know, our, our national organization, our state organizations, all these other organizations. I think we all have common goals and whatnot, but it seems like too that um, maybe, you know, there's needs that aren't being met through those organizations that, you know, that, that people like yourself have had to kind of pick up and, and found things that are, are lacking, you know, creating this community and whatnot. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about, um the initiatives that, that some of these state organizations are the things that they should be doing better are they maybe constrained by the fact that they're maybe more rigid and and mm -hmm. you yourself have maybe more flexibility because you're not uh, mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know what, <laughs> <laughs> I what you're trying to say um i think the biggest thing that i want to say is that i when i created a group again people were like why do we need it and that's a fair assessment for anybody who has feedback and says, why do we need it? You, you, you are right to ask that. And I'm not going to take that away from you. You're like, why do we need it? We have NASP, we have our state organizations. And yes, you have all of that. Um, for me, what I think is interesting is, uh, I don't want to say now, I'm going to tell you, I support and love people within NAS and I am on my state organization. So that's my that's my disclaimer. <laughs> like I love my state organization and I love NAS. Um and I fully support both organizations. What I think is hard for some people is to just if they want to be a part of these organizations they don't it's like a, it's it's the barrier of not wanting to feel ignored shut down you don't want to hear a microaggression while you're at the table you know it's it's really a mental it's really a mental barrier if i'm being quite honest because you just me as a person a woman of color i know that how can i say this I know that whenever I'm sitting at a table, that my opinions are going to be viewed in a certain light. And that's just, that's just the reality of the situation. And I know that I have to change kind of, I know that I have to kind of censor and change the way I show up, if that makes any sense, to make other people comfortable. And I hate to say that, but it's the reality of the situation. I mean, 
it it really is. You you do have to navigate these spaces. And I think that for some people, it's hard, harder to do. I tell everybody when I first got into the field of school psychology, I I don't know how to say this. I just did not know how to talk to affluent white people. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to do it. And so for me, I know that probably is a real fear for a lot of my my colleagues and other women of color like me. And so to show up in these spaces, they have to they have to be told that they're going to be affirmed Um, and they have to almost be guaranteed that they're going to be affirmed for them to want to take that leap of faith. Not knocking out the organizations. Totally love everybody. Dr. Malone is a supporter of school school psych sisters and I love her and what she does. But that's that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, that makes me think of, of so many things, you know, kind of the the code switching that um, needs to happen. And the the line women of color need to walk between owning their stories and not, I don't know what the word is, but kind of and pro- almost protecting um, mm-hmm. people in protecting the field. Their- their jobs. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. But also protecting, you know, protecting the feelings of mm-hmm. the school psychology department. You know, you, mm-hmm. you almost you can't necessarily show up authentically with um, all these experiences of racial trauma or marginalization or or just hurt, and and then be received well by. Mm-hmm. A, a, you know, a community that may not be able to to understand or fully empathize. So it's a, it's it's just a very um, it's know. a hard line to walk. Yeah. You, you, it's very much a hard line to walk. I, like I said, my supervisor used to say all the time, people have their own worldview and they have their own patterns of socialization. And I think we are getting to a point where we're learning that we we can be in these spaces, um, but it takes courage. And it's going to take a little more time for us to um, fully show up as we would like in in those spaces. But I, I think it's happening. I'm hopeful that it will happen. Like I said, Dr. Malone is excellent. And I she's truly been doing magical work um, in the field. But I think with my group, I just I allow a certain um, I don't I just allow them to show up who they are, use their colloquialisms. And I think that is in, inwardly affirming to them. And I know you can't do that um, in certain spaces. Um, and I'm on these, I, I am on these committees and I know firsthand, but yeah, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> but I think you make a good point, Rebecca. I really do. And you, you see, you know, I really, uh, a couple of things I, I saw at NASP, uh, our last NASP in person, um, the most beautiful display was um, a group of school psychology, uh, black men um, mm-hmm. taking a, a picture, um, supporting one another. And they were quite a few were friends of mine or, or people mm-hmm. I follow on yes. social media. Yes. And when uh, I think maybe um, Charles or Scott Graves or someone posted the picture mm-hmm. and I just thought, this is so beautiful because people need to have the space, just as you said, like you need to have a safe space where mm-hmm. you can say what you need to say without, mm-hmm. you know, uh, white middle-aged men centering themselves in the middle of it, uh, honestly, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also thought for my boy, who's biracial, um, mm-hmm. you know, who's a 15 year old, I, I thought I want him to have this kind of, right. Uh, fellowship, love and support mm-hmm. when he's in a field where whatever he does, I would love for him to be surrounded by men who look like him, who have his back, you know, and I just, it hit me. It was a really powerful moment for me, but I, I hope I'm understanding how important, or at least from my perspective, um, how important this kind of space is. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I really appreciate what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that 
that's something that we talked about as far as your son is concerned um, in these spaces. I know that they're having um, high schools now who are having organizations like college has. So like, I think it's the Black Student Union. Um, so some high schools are having the Black Student Union. So I, I definitely am hopeful for change. Um, I know that I'm, I'm trying to stand in the gap right now hoping, hoping that there is change. That's kind of what School Psych Sister is. It's like a gap. We're trying to fill that gap right now. And we're hoping that there is change, but we will be here regardless of if there's change or not. And But we know change is slow. Um, so that's kind of what we want to do. We just want to affirm our people and let them know that, hey, sis, if you need this, you need to know about this county or you need a connect with this person. Like, hey, I got you, sis. I got you. <laughs> you know, hey, sis, you had a hard day. That sounds terrible what they did to you. That's completely insane. And you don't you should not feel bad for feeling that way. We want you to go take go take a day off or whatever you need to do to gather yourself. And if you need to report the HR, you do that. You know, <laughs> that's, what, that's what we are here to say. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm just excited. I think, I think School Sex Sisters is going to, it's going to be here and it may, if that change is met, we're just going to reorganize and meet another need, but there's always going to be a need for, this particular space so it's amazing it, it makes me think about this year i work at an independent school and so the national association of independent schools every year has a conference called the people of color conference mm. um, for it's for everyone but in in the conference you are um arranged in affinity groups so mm -hmm. you know you have this community of learners that look like you and you share experiences and scholarship and mm -hmm. it's the most powerful conference I, I haven't been before i went this year for the first time but i hope to go every year and i wish that you know other organizations had such a thing because mm -hmm. i learned so much and it was all virtual and it was just so well done but um I heard that in person, it is like a week of just connection and emotion mm -hmm. and community building that it's, it's really incredible. So I, I mm -hmm. yeah, I definitely know that there's like, I don't know, I don't know what, what else you, how, how you could explain it, but I definitely know what you're talking about. It's like when you get together with people who, just you don't need to tell them your experience they kind of they kind of already know so you just go in and you you just already feel accepted from a basis <laughs> or from a foundation then you're allowed to just open up and that just takes the conversation deeper like it's not on a surface level it just goes and it it continues and it's so much insight i think i said after every podcast i'm like oh this was just so insightful <laughs> so insightful. It's the power of peer mentorship, right? It's just so, it's it's very much a thing. It's, it's like a phenomenon. It needs to be studied. I used to be a peer dialogue facilitator. And let me tell you, dialogues are phenomenal. Dialogues paired in groups and spaces like these, astronomical. So I can only imagine what that conference was like can only imagine. I, before we um, went on air, I know there was, we were talking about some conferences and whatnot and, and people mm -hmm. that, um, you know, are, are good to follow and things to look forward to. So I want to you know, hit on and hear mm -hmm. um, about upcoming things that you maybe got your eye on so we can um, check it out too. But I'm also wondering at NASP, I, I know that the last one we were, we were virtual. Um, right. But I've always enjoyed, you know, meeting up with people at NASP, who you follow on Twitter, who you do this. Oh, has yeah. your, your Facebook group have had like meetups and, and get togethers uh, and whatnot? 
They have. And um, I have to shout out my partner, um, Bianca Vasquez, who's also she went to Indiana University in Bloomington with me. And she's about to finish her dissertation and defend it. So I'm so super happy. She's been there since the group was conceptualized. Like I literally text her and was like, is this what do you think about this? Um, So she has help facilitate a couple of those meetups actually and she says that they went phenomenal so uh, she said that they were phenomenal so i i totally i'm here for it if she probably will do another one to be honest <laughs> but i told her i was like i fully trust you to lead these things and she's been doing she's been doing her thing like that so you might see one we might show up you know, <laughs> you might have a group picture with all the women of color. <laughs> so that might be a thing. Awesome. Uh, go, yeah, I, I know you wanted to chime in, Eric, but I just wanted to remind people that um, we're going to be taking last call for questions and whatnot. So if anybody has any thoughts mm -hmm. to post to get that in. But yeah, sorry, Eric, I saw you on mute. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I was just curious about what prompted you to uh, create your organization as a nonprofit rather yes. than just keep it as a Facebook group or? It's a good question. Actually, I have notes here. <laughs> so I'll make sure that I read my targeted points. But the first thing that I wanted to say is when I was talking through this, I initially was like LLC, but I was like that whole women own their own stories. Like I don't, I would say that our marginalized women face so much and we do sometimes get infiltrated and people try to steal our stories and use them for their own, you know, gain or benefit. And I did not want to do that. I was like, I don't want to profit off of anybody's stories. Like truly this is a platform for us, by us. So it's not a me platform. Um, so I wanted to take myself out of it. I was like, I'm, I don't want to do, I don't want to, there's nothing selfish about this. Like it entirely is for my, my community. Um, so that's the first thing that prompted me. The second thing was I knew that I couldn't do it alone. I knew that I needed a village. I actually knew that Bianca was there since conceptualization. And I wanted to honor that and invite her on and all the other people who have helped sustain me. So Dr. Parker and Dr. TD, they were consultants actually helping me pick a boards. Um, Jerrica, she's been here with me. Jerrica Knox, she's been here with me. We went out, we've shared our school psych stories. So I wanted to bring her on. I knew I couldn't do it by myself. Um, so that was another reason. And then I knew that there was a problem just being completely honest, um, as a first generation student and everything, like it's hard for me to pay for <laughs> NAS and a state organization. So I have to pick my pick or choose at this point. Um, so I knew that that was probably the struggle for some or the challenge for some women. And I completely wanted to fill that gap. As I said, I don't, I think it's, I think we need reparations to be honest. I don't, I feel like we should have access to knowledge and it should be ours it, if it makes any sense and we shouldn't have to pay for it. And I know that we have organization, our organizations has free resources. Like I don't want to downplay that, but I honestly feel like that is another systemic barrier. Um, and that's just my personal opinion and everybody can take it how they want. So I want to remove that for the women in my group. So that's kind of why it just made sense for it to be a nonprofit for me. And you know, kudos for that. I, I know I'm involved in um, the Reading League in Maryland and getting a chapter and going through the nonprofit paperwork and tax stuff. And oh my gosh, I can't, I can't even, we're not through it yet. And I just, it's overwhelming, so. <laughs> It is definitely a lot. <laughs> when I tell you it's a lot, <laughs> I am I have two jobs. I have one that I'm not getting paid for and one that I'm getting paid for. <laughs> so I'll just say that. But I'm doing this because I feel like it's necessary. So I I am here for it. I know someone asked about how, how can they support the nonprofit? Yes, yes, yes. 
So how you support the nonprofit, if you actually go to Twitter, our Twitter is at SchoolPsychSys, then there should be a, a pictogram or infographic um, on there with ways that you can help contribute. Um, I will say that we have, I just got us a actual official like mailing address. So I will be putting that on the infographic and posting that sometime soon. That checks are the best way. So whenever I post that information, send checks, that would be great because that doesn't require the fees because Stripe is, they take our fee. <laughs> they, take, they take away from the money you give us and PayPal actually takes away from the money you give us. And um, GoFundMe takes away from the money you give us. But all of those, we're on all of those. So if you want to go search GoFundMe, um, Fun School Site Sisters, that's another way. If you go to um, PayPal, you have to type in our Gmail address, which is at schoolsitesisters well, at gmail.com. That's how you um, support us as well. But if you want to wait for the check to give us your full contribution, I'll be posting that soon. Awesome. <laughs> That's good. Okay. I'm well, there's some questions and things coming in. Um, um, yeah, just people, I think, being um, thankful and, and grateful for, for the work that you've been doing. And I, I, I second all of that. And I think it's a uh, it's really good. Um, as we're wrapping up, um, I want to remind people of our next episode is going to be in 516 and we're going to have Dr. Gab talking about literacy. But um, yeah, I, I think that this conversation though too should continue in in virtually and, um, you know, and beyond and, um, oh, the conferences too. Yes. What conferences? I know that there was a conversation between you and Eric before we went on, on air that I thought would be beneficial for everybody. Yes. So I want to take this time to definitely promote <laughs> the school. I think it's division, is it APA division 16 um, school psychology on the conference. I think that's the name of it. If I'm wrong, somebody put it in the chat, please correct me, but I'm definitely promoting that. And I think it's at the end of July. Please stay tuned because I know it's going to be a treat. <laughs> it's going to be a treat. Yes, that's it. And and then uh, one that I missed, but you uh, went to, Kiara, was the um, decolonizing uh, psychology conference. Mm -hmm. And that was by teachers, um, teachers. Well, Columbia, I think it's Columbia University Teachers College. If I'm wrong, please. Okay. <laughs> yes, they had decolonizing um, psychology. And that was a really good one too. Dr. Malone spoke at that one and Dr. Sullivan spoke at that one and they did wonderful presentations on, um, I think mentorship was Dr. Malone's. And um, I think Dr. Sullivan was talking about, and somebody correct me if I am wrong. She was talking about research, which she came in with some fire and she came in with the heat and there was a whole thread. So check that out. Check that thread out on Twitter. Y'all check that thread out about decolonizing psychology. <laughs> I think it's Dr. Dr. Walcott. I don't know. Check it out on Twitter and go. Cause I think there was a, a Google document that was started out of it that has wonderful resources. Cool. We'll have to, we'll track that down and put that in the, the show notes or in the YouTube description so that people can click on it and, and get there. Awesome. All right. I'm not seeing any more last minute questions. Anything, uh, Rebecca or Eric from the two of you, but no. Uh, I think the only thing we're um, <clears throat> supposed to read our 32nd sponsor. I <clears throat> just was, um, I had a little cough drop that I <clears throat> kind of went down the wrong way. <laughs> so I'm coughing here. <clears throat> but yes, if you follow, as Kiara said, if you follow or, or look for um, decolonizing, um, I think it was Columbia University and you'll, you'll see <clears throat> great information on Twitter. <clears throat> and I had a, another conference to go to that same week. So unfortunately, um, 
I couldn't go to that one, but I will be at um, the APA one in in uh, the summer. So, um, so we are just so grateful. I I honestly think this was such a thoughtful and important conversation. So, Kiara, thank you so much for joining us this evening and taking no. your time, and for our audience uh, as well. Oh, great. thank you, thank you. I've totally enjoyed my time here, and I'm super, I'm super excited. And it was nice meeting you all, actually. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank Pleasure you. to meet you. Mm -hmm. We're gonna and find you if if we all do, you know, cross paths at a conference. Yeah. You're on our, yeah. our stalking list. We we go after community, people. community, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> community. <laughs> I'm super nerdy to get selfies with people and post them on social media. So I'll, I try to ask, I won't just show up and selfie, you know, with people, but I'll say, can I get a selfie with you and put it on Twitter? So I'm that, that nerdy guy who does that. So if I see you at a conference, just fair warning. Oh no, trust me. I'm, I'm a little shy. I'm a little picture shy, but it's okay. Once I get in front of the camera, people are like, you did not, you were not picture shy. <laughs> Like, yes, I am. <laughs> awesome. We've got a, a, a selfie coming soon, coming your way on Twitter and Facebook. Look out for us. And before we go, we wanted to again thank our sponsor, Med Travelers, for the continued support of school psychologists nationwide. As a leader in school staffing, the genuine care, benefits, and guidance that Med Travelers demonstrates with school psychologists is the mark of a true partner in career success. To learn more about Med Travelers and discover the ways they can help you succeed in your school psychology career, visit medtravelers.com forward slash school psyched exclamation mark. Thanks. All right. See you. See you when we see you. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.